0: That's indeed.com slash Blue Wire Sports and support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Blue Wire Sports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Trying to get by Benning.
2: Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Perry! Stewart! Corey Perry! Oh, you're able to shake away from it's
1: Getting away to Solani Yeah, so anyways, fuck Ken Dryden is what I wanted to say. <laughs> not, not Jay Beagle? No, no, Ken Dryden sucks. I thought that Jay was Beagle. the whole
2: theme of today's show is fuck Jay Beagle.
1: No, nah, Jay Beagle's an upstanding citizen. He's never done anything wrong in his life. And I think this uh, this persecution and cancel culture is uh, getting <laughs> oh my out of control. Goodness. And I, I just think it's ridiculous. Oh, I'm so sorry. Anyways,
0: um,
2: <laughs> We're back. We uh, we are back and I'm obviously <laughs> we're going to be talking about Jay Beagle today. Uh, is one of the things. Um, Trevor Zegers, another Michigan goal. This one, I'll probably the best one I've ever seen. Just all the circumstances involved. Of, of all
1: the six that you've seen in your life, that's the best one.
2: What of all? The, no, no, no. All the Michigan goals.
1: That's what I'm saying. How, how many have there actually been in the NHL though?
2: Well, not okay. You've
1: got Svechnikov
2: two. Any of the ones oh, I've ever uh, seen at any level. So, okay, it, sure. Dating back to like the first one I saw was Mikael Grandland way back in the World Juniors. Sure. This is one of the cleanest ones. Um, with just the way everything kind of led up to it the, the between the leg shot to getting your own rebound, the pucks bouncing. I don't know if he got lucky as well because it like it bounces perfectly in a way it, like it immediately lands like flat onto his stick. It, there's obviously an insane amount of skill there too, to then pull it around behind the net, fluid motion around your own guy <laughs> to the net, like it's, right. it's just ridiculous. I, I, say, I say this a lot, but I, like Trevor zegris has a career's worth of highlights in 62 games or so this year, for for some guys, right? Like some some guys will not have. Plays like that over five, six, seven hundred games. <laughs> we're, nope. we're sixty-two games, a total of what, like eighty plus now, 80, 90 games in his career. He's nearing hundred, and uh, it's just unbelievable the, the amount of highlights he's put together this year. Um, everybody loves it, for I guess except Red Wings fans, right? Until yeah, he... no,
1: they uh, they hate it.
2: Um... Could he or will he win? Like statistically, he is out of the forwards the best rookie in the league. Um, depend.
1: So, uh, all right. Will I he mean- win
2: just because of the flashiness, like, or should he win just because he's doing stuff like that?
1: Um, or do you have to
2: take that out of the the equation. Like if you're if you're a voter, because like it, the the voting, what you consider in rookie of the year, we all just usually assume that like it's the guy who has the most points, but there's so many other things that go into it. So like, what can you include and what can't you include? Because like with defensemen. It's always like, okay, do they have to have a certain amount of points and then they're doing everything else and with Cider it's like just big physical he's been everything you could ask for this year. He puts him near the top. Raymond, Ziegris and like Jeanette and Lyndal have kind of all in the same points category, but I feel like Ziegris is just like way, way up here because of everything else he's done and the way he's done it this year. Right? Like that
1: Yeah. Is that enough to overcome
2: Cider and the points and the fact he's a defenseman?
1: Well, I feel like so, the question is, Is what do you do with Michael Bunting? Right? right because right. I think that all things considered, Cider and Bunting will end up as two of the top three. The question is going to be is it going to be Raymond? Is there an outside shot that Lindell sneaks in? Um, or is it going to be Zegres? And I think it's hard for me to pick anybody but Zegres there um, because, like, I would take probably Lundell over Bunting since Bunting is 55 years old and is playing with the best player in the world. Yeah. Um. And two, well, like, two I, of the best
2: players in the league. Like, he's on – it's not like yeah, it's just exactly. Matthews. It's like a Crosby situation where Sid's carrying – like, it's Matthews and Marner. On that, yeah. and he and no, he gets right. on that top power play unit with the, those guys Tavares and Nylander and others, right? So it's just, I I think he like he's my three because it still is impressive the jump he's, he's made. Because like
1: mm-hmm.
2: guys can get put with great players and it doesn't work out. Like Nick Ritchie played with Getzlaff and Perry when they were at near their peak and it just didn't work out, right? So and there's guys mm-hmm. that they put with Sid and it, it hasn't worked out. So there's credit to Bunting for what he's done. He's been a great player. But for me, like, all those things kind of put him as my number three. And then it's just between Zegras and Sider. And at that point, I think that's where you get into, like, because as a defenseman and a forward, is what else are you considering other than just points? Zegras is going to have more points, obviously, but Sider getting anywhere near 50 for a rookie defenseman is just very, very impressive. So then you got to look at what, it, what else are you leaning into the voting here. And is the flashiness and the highlight reel plays of Zgris enough to kind of outweigh the steadiness and how quickly Cider has become like a physical NHL ready defenseman. Like what which one outweighs the other?
1: So I think the interesting thing like when you're kind of looking at it, right, is like I feel like the argument for Cider is defense is harder, defense takes longer, mm-hmm. you have to learn to react to the game in front of you and skill level is higher and the speed of the game is higher right and so that's the kind of the difficulty level that you're walking into and you can make the argument that as a forward you're taking the game to other people so you at least have a little bit of an advantage in your attacking usually um if you're in the calder conversation right like nobody who's getting caved in their whole their whole their whole rookie year is going to be in the calder conversation so you've got guys who are you know uh, playing a more Attacking and offensive style usually that that gets them into the conversation. Right, and it, it's it's interesting because I think Sider has pretty much become a number one defenseman inside of a year. Like, if you said to me he's a number one defenseman now, but Detroit is going to go grab somebody because. They want him to be that without having all of the pressure of that, right? They go out and get like a more experienced, kind of two-three kind of guy. That would make a lot of sense to me, but I don't think that's does that takes anything away from Sider. And with Zegers, I think like you, you, it's pretty fair at this point to say he's the team's number one center. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like he's. He's just, he's had a really remarkable season. Like, other than Troy Terry, I don't think there's another forward on the team who's been quite as impactful. Um, You know, Milano's been really good. Uh, Getzloff has obviously, when healthy, had a bit of a resurgent year this year and doing his classic three goals and 30 assists shit. Um, So it's interesting to me that what you've got is two players who have both stepped into you know, high end roles as rookies. And the thing that I think is the most interesting as far as the flashiness or, or the highlight stuff is like, you, you can look at the Buffalo goal to Milano. You can look at the Montreal, Michigan. You can look at this Michigan. You can look at some of the shootout goals, some of the just trick plays that didn't work. Some of the passes and, and like he's dot all that stuff, but you can just as easily look at cider. He's got the big hits He's got guys coming to hit him and them falling down. Yeah. He's got goals. He's got shifts where he's the only guy with the puck. Like, I think you can very easily argue that they both have close to equivalent highlight reels mm-hmm. given the positions that they play. I think the level of difficulty for me, I would be inclined to go cider still just because i just think it's remarkable to do that as a defenseman but i don't know that there's anybody who can push those two for first or second i yeah. i think it's pretty comfortably them um even with you know bunting being the leading goal scorer among rookies um you know and and, and, and he's not anymore really well
2: like he's not he's a leading point getter still but raymond actually has 20, 22 jeanette has 23. So he's he's up there with points. He's got fifty three. Is that
1: how you say that, Tanner Jeannette?
2: I believe so. It's not Jeannot. It might be Jeannot. I don't know if it's if he's French or not. So
1: mm-hmm. I would ask. <laughs> it's people, it's, probably,
2: that. it's probably it's probably Jeannot.
1: Tanner Jeannot. Um, but yeah, but still, um, I, I think it's I think it's between those two. I I I got to be honest. It would be super cool to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, Janot and Lundell finish in that 4-5 that range, that would make me really happy. I think, you know, Janot's been great as far as 5-5 um, five five impact, and, and, you know, he's done all that other stuff, fighting and the hitting and, you know, really just kind of playing a really physical brand of hockey and helping provide some some legitimate depth to that team since they finally have one of Matt Duchesne and Ryan Johansson playing well. Do, um, do you think there's an outside shout for Jeremy
2: Swayman 20 wins he's uh,
1: it's I it might be unfair I think if he was on any other team but the one that had Patrice Bergeron right (laughs) he might have a better shot um like if Spencer Knight was doing what he was doing right I I think there's a very legitimate shot but I I I think he'll
2: get votes like Swayman will get votes for the fact that he leads like all rookie goaltenders by mile in all categories but yeah I don't I don't there, think he'll win.
1: Like, other than a couple of guys getting one or two votes here and there, like, is there anybody to vote for outside of that six?
2: Yeah, for me, like, the guys who are going to, I think, are going to get votes. I think Lindell and Caulfield could potentially get a vote or two. Maybe not like a first place yeah. vote, but like a second or third like, place vote. Okay. Just because, like, Caulfield and recency bias, he'll get some votes. Lindell, I think, will get some votes because, again, like, This doesn't matter, but people will look at this. The fact he's a plus 30, somebody will look at that and just assume that means like he's miles better than everybody else. Not that he's playing on a significantly better team. He'll be up there. I think he'll get a couple votes because he's done 38 points in only 53 games. I think Jeanette will get some because he's leading rookies in goals. He's got 110 PIMS. He's playing a bit of a different role. Um, I think he'll get some votes there. But for me, like, there's just this clear four at the top that are going to those are really the only guys I think that deserve first place votes, and it's going to be Cider, Zegers, Raymond, and Bunting. Those are going to be my guys, and I mm-hmm. think there's a there's a tier there. I think it's Zegers and Cider, and then it's Bunting and Raymond, and I think I I would imagine that's how it finishes in the top four. And 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 then you think what you're looking at like Lundell, Swayman, Caulfield, uh, Jeanette. I want to know if Boldy gets votes. He might. I just – the amount of games he's played, 35 games, yeah. it's it's like, tough.
1: Yeah, him him and Caulfield are interesting because to me that's the fourth tier. Mm-hmm. I would say Jano Swayman, and Lundell are the guys that I would kind of have in that third tier that could sneak into getting third-place votes uh, or could sneak into third place by – by virtue of getting a significant amount of third place votes um but I I think it's I think no matter what there's going to be one or two guys that are going to get left off that are going to have deserved legitimate looks and it's kind of cool to be honest in a way and I I, it's easy for me to say that as someone who feels their team's rookie should be in the final three regardless um but I, I, I definitely think it's cool. Like, I can't remember the last time we had this fun of a rookie race.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, you know, and it, it runs the gamuts from players on the worst team in the league, like Cole Caulfield, to players on the best team in the league, like you could argue Michael Bunting or Anton Lindell. And mm-hmm. they're... they're it's, it's really cool, and I, I think it's really fun that there really does seem to be a good chunk of young players right now that look ready to start making significant impacts as soon... I mean, you could argue as soon as this year, but as soon as next year for a lot of them, right? Like, Boldy is going to be a huge part of that Minnesota team next year, no matter what happens this year, because they have to get guys on ELCs in the door. Um, Anton Lindell, same thing, like... Uh, you know, I, he's going to be a guy that's going to allow them to kind of have that that organize, organizational depth that will help make it easier once you know they have to give O that new contract and and him and Barkov are making like 22 million between them or something. So it, it's going to be really interesting. I think there's a lot to be excited for as far as the Calder race is concerned. Yeah, uh, I, I, think,
2: I think it's very, very close. It's going to come down to the wire. And, uh, like, I still, I hate to say it, I still give a slight edge to, to Sider. Um, being the defenseman, in fact, he's playing 23 minutes a night on a bad team. He, he's just looked exceptional in all areas of the game. It's not that Zygris hasn't. I just think as a defenseman, what he's been able to do um, is he really hasn't done anything wrong. I know I haven't watched enough. Detroit games to see if there has, I'm sure there has been a few defensive blunders this year for a rookie defenseman, like it happens, but it's just really impressive for a guy to step in and do what he's doing. And, and I think for Zygris to win, I think with 12 games remaining, I think he's got to get to 60. So he's got to get at least 10 points in the next 12 games. I think he's got to get to 20 goals. So he needs at least three more goals to get there. If he can get to 20 goals and 60 points, but insider doesn't scratch 50, he's six away from 50 points right now. I think there's a, there's a better chance. I still think it's very very close. I think even right now with only a 6 point lead, you know, Zegers has a few games in hand, they'll take that into consideration. Um I think it's very close. It's like 55-45. If Zegris can do that, get to 20 goals because that's a milestone, get to 60 points um and be a significant gap, or at least like a 10 point gap between him and Cider in points. I think I think he'll take the edge for me going into the voting, but It's going to be tough because there are going to be people who vote for him just because of the flashiness and everything that he's done this year. And there will be people who won't vote for him because of that too, no matter what the point totals are, because they like Sider's game a bit more. So I I think it's going to be really close. It's going to be a really close um, voting. You just know, the one thing I do know for certain is if Zegers wins, the Red Wings fans are going to say that uh, it was rigged and the NHL wanted Zegers to win. That
1: That is a foregone conclusion. That will happen. true. Everybody knows the Anaheim Ducks are the league's uh, favorite team, Mm -hmm. and they have been getting favorable treatment uh, for 25, 20, what is it now? Almost 30 years, 28, 29 years? Yeah. 93, 94 to 23, 24. So, yeah, we're like 28 years. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I think that's (laughs) exciting is that we're going to be able to know uh, and everybody will know now that we're Gary Bettman's favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like it makes sense, right? Because Arizona is obviously like the problem child, where it's like you guys keep giving them a lot of chances, and they like kind of keep stealing your car. Like I just at a certain point, guys, we got to maybe say this isn't going well. Uh, you know, and Detroit is whatever Detroit is. I don't know, dead, old um lame i mean the best part of that franchise for a long time was pat Verbeek, and he's with us now so fuck them <laughs> <laughs> no i look i think you know I, I don't think i think every fan base is gonna find a way to be pissed off about this uh no matter who wins unless it's their guy i don't think that's fine and it's fair i think the fact that it's this close for a couple of guys is really cool. Mm-hmm. And I think the fact that the two guys, in my opinion and your opinion, as you just said at the top are very different players. They play very different positions. Like, uh, you know, I, I just think that that's really cool. Yeah. And it's a different I, I type don't... of race. It's not one of those races yeah. where it's like two
2: guys who can get the most points, whoever yeah. finishes with the most points. They're the, like if it was no cider, take them out. If it was between bunting Raymond and Ziegler, it'd be basically <laughs> who gets the most points and yeah, I think Zgris would get the edge because of the flashiness and whatever. But with cider in the mix, it's like a whole, it's a whole different race, which is fun. It, it, it's a bit different from what we've seen. I don't think, I don't remember the last time we've seen a race where a defenseman and a forward had been so close, maybe Ekblad. I can't remember who he was against when he won and, and who he was up against in that year, but uh, it'd be fun to go back and kind of see some of the races. And if there was anything like this in, in recent times, but uh it's a lot of fun to kind of see the disparity between the two players and ultimately be at a point where you're like yeah it's 50 50 just kind of depends on personal preference at the end of the day and on who's going to get the vote
1: yeah no absolutely uh so i figured out by the way what the hell is behind me it's because it's world theater day and that's an amphitheater and i know that because you guys can't see this on the twitch but there's a bing logo here that says world theater day the daily image. Anyway, this doesn't matter to anybody. But me and Eddie were talking about it because I was trying to figure out where the hell this picture came from. Uh anyways. So I mean I think that's it, right? Nothing else we needed to talk about. Nothing really happened lately.
2: No, we'll get to it. I do I do want to say this before we wrap this all up with the Eckblad stuff. He he finished just ahead of Goodrow and Mark Stone in that year. I don't know how uh how their seasons looked in their rookie year. So maybe that was a similar race. Obviously Goodrow and Eckblad are wait Johnny different. G? Yeah. Wow. I don't remember Johnny Goodrow's rookie season, but now I have to see because he just finished. He out. would have been, what, 24 because he played three, four years in college? Yeah, so he had 64 points in 80 games. So it, it is a fairly, Damn, similar, good for him. Yeah, fairly similar race. How um, old was he? Uh, I have no idea. I have no idea.
0: <coughs> just got a hockey reference.
2: Dude. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to do math. He's 28 now.
1: He'd been like twenty-one, so same same age as uh. As I'm, I'm, shut up! I'm just gonna just shut up. I'm looking. Yeah, he was uh twenty-one. Yeah, he played yeah. one game at twenty years old. Yeah, he had one game, one goal, uh, plus one. Yeah, he came in at the end. Of, he came at the end of the
2: season. It was like the last game of the season. He came in the last yeah last game and scored a goal, and then came out the next year and just popped off for sixty-four points. So
1: it's how a similar do you have, race. How do you have two total? Wait, what's TSA? Total shot attempts? I think so. Oh, team shot attempts is probably what it is. Yeah. So, there were two shots when he was on the ice. He had one of them, and it was a goal. And that was in 15 minutes. Oh, he had a takeaway and no giveaways? Wow, dude. He should have won the 13-14 Calder. What are we talking about? (laughs) He was a stud.
2: Yeah, if if we go by per-game numbers. uh, (laughs) Yeah. Projections. Um, Greatest hockey
1: player of all time. All
2: right. let's, Let's get to the other topics we have here. So... Ducks currently sit 6th in the Pacific Division. 11-game losing streak ended on Friday with the win against the Arizona Coyotes. You felt like if it, if you can't beat Arizona and it goes to 12, they may not win another game this year with some of the teams they have to go against, like Edmonton tonight. So it was nice to get that over with. And, and in convincing fashion, I think, too, is is important to build some confidence. You know, the, the top line with Zegras, Milano and, and Terry got going. So it is... There is something to do that. I mean, they could wipe that all off the board tonight if they just get absolutely obliterated by Edmonton and lose that confidence, but it it was nice to see them snap the, the losing streak for a lot of guys to kind of get going for that line. I guess it's a new look line of Milano, Segrist, and Terry over the last game and a half, as they looked excellent in that game, and they kind of have to because the top scores for the Ducks over the last seven games or so have been Zegras and Terry, and then Derek Grant is in that mix because he was on the top line with the two of them. Uh, so
1: can't just be that he's a good hockey player. Can't just be no, because no. he was getting carried when Derek Grant was was walking on the beach and there was only one set of footsteps. Well, it's because he was carried by Trevor Zegras.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but Zegras shows out. With the Michigan goal, like we talked about, we we can cover that a little bit. We we briefly were, we were going to cover that at the beginning of the show, and then we got, we got warped into Calder talk for 20 minutes. That wasn't even part of the show to begin with. Um, I love it. But, uh, yeah, what did you think about that goal? I mean, obviously amazing.
1: So I missed the first three goals in real time. Right. So all of a sudden I look down and it's like, Lunderstrom scores one, nothing. And I'm like, yeah. And then it's like Mayhew scores two nothing. And I was like, Oh shit, this game's like really good right now. What is happening? Uh, and then it was all of a sudden, Holy shit. Trevor Segres did it again. And I went into full panic mode. Yeah. Like I was, where's my phone finish a movie <laughs> with my girlfriend. You know, she, she, uh, I had to take her to the airport yesterday morning. So like Friday night, we we're just kind of trying to hang out a little bit before she left. And <laughs> I felt so bad for because she's, we're sitting there trying to watch this movie, and I'm just like frantically on Twitter, like, "What the <laughs> fuck just happened?" And then I find it, and then I just show her the still of him around Milano. Yeah. Oh, dude, it, it it rocked, man. It was it was it was incredible. And like you said, like it was it was cool the way it developed because he went for the, the between the leg shot, and it bounced down right in front of him. And to your question, as far as like, is it scale? Is it luck? It's like it's both things. Those two things. Yeah. You. I I don't think you can separate those two things, right? Because if you if you're not good, you can't make your own luck. You can't. You're not going to be aware enough or skilled enough or um you, you know, just aware or skilled enough to to be able to take advantage of weird bounces like that because it's if he would have popped it that way, it wouldn't have worked, and he would have just uh, rimmed it around the boards to the right point, nobody would have been upset about it. That would have no, been a
2: perfectly that's legitimate... 99% play. of the guys in the league. Pretty much everybody right now, other than Trevor Zegers, that's what they do. Is they, right, yeah, you know, they throw they it,
1: never, it along the boards. Maybe they go behind the net, and they have it on their backhand or something like that, right? Yeah. Like He's got those two options, and you can either way, no big deal. But for him to see that and almost immediately be like, oh... And then, yeah. and you're just like, holy shit, dude, how did you, it's remarkable. And that's, it's that's a whole nother
2: level of thinking that I don't, like, I, I'm not saying I'm going to put out there that he's the smartest hockey player in the game. Cause he's not, but I, or I, I don't have the evidence to say that he is, but that play developed the moment, like in the moment for him, it wasn't drawn up. It wasn't something that's like, yeah, I'm going to do this. Like it's. I tried it between-the-leg shot because that was the only way I was going to get a good shot off. Okay, falls at my stick. All right, I'm going to pick it up. and <laughs> The goalie's out of position, and I'm going to – oh, Milano's in the way. I'm just going to stretch a little bit around. him. like, it's it's unbelievable to be able to pull that off in real time. Like, that's, that's the one thing I can't believe. Like, I can understand being behind the net, having a little bit of time assessing the play, and like, okay, now I'm going to pull the Michigan, and that takes an immense amount of skill to do that, like his first one. This one is just like the split second decision making, and the skill to be able to pull it off in that split second moment is—I don't think there's many guys in the league that can do that and would do
1: that. Yeah, I, I, I think, I think it's 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 a completely different type of thinking. It's, you know, it, it's. It, <sighs> I don't know. I'm, try, I'm trying to think of some a way to say it that's not like super cliche and stupid, but like it really just is like completely like out of the box type shit, right? It's like everybody's a left brain guy, and he's one of four or five right brain guys out there. And for everybody who actually knows which one is which, I'm sorry, I don't know. Uh, but one of those is you know analytical, and the other one's a little bit more creative and whatever. Um, but I just think for him. He just doesn't go into situations the same way. And I think his ability to just kind of change the calculus on the fly of what is or isn't having um what is or isn't ha- like possible, right? Like what he can or can't do. Like right. he just completely approaches situations different than other guys and that is the part of it that makes him special is he's got this incredibly high skill level that he is combining with a, a remarkably unique approach to how to play the game and to what he can do with that skill set right like i don't Like, this is part of the conversation we'll have and whatever. But, like, I don't think he's doing this stuff just to do this stuff. No. He just doesn't see limitations in the way the other guys do, right? It's some real, you know, Neo at the end of the Matrix shit where he's like, oh, I see all the code. So now I can exploit that to do whatever I want. And part of that is even though it's me and even though people still know they don't seem to think in real time. Oh, he's going to Michigan. Yeah. So he's just fuck it, let's go. You know, and 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 I think looking at this one and looking at the the Montreal one and the ways in which they are semi similar but also completely different is incredibly enlightening because the Montreal one he's coming down the right side and he just picks it up in one move, just super clean, just absolutely fluid, and it is. It is his speed around the net that, and his fluidity yeah. that creates the opportunity. Whereas with the one against Arizona, it's his reaction, right? Like you said, is he tries this one play, the puck just bounces in front of him, and all of a sudden he just goes whoop, and he's like, oh, I can just do this now. He's not like, oh, i got to embarrass this guy because he thought he could block my little between-the-legs shot. He's just like, this is the next thing. This and is the, the best
2: chance for him to score in that moment was to do in that. In his
1: eyes was that absolutely. Yeah. Um,
2: that's what sets it apart I think from other guys maybe doing it or, or like you thinking that it's like for him he has a tool set that he's well aware of what he can do. There's the mm-hmm. confidence there to no matter the moment to pull it off. There are guys there are guys in this league who can do that. Like he's not the only guy who can do that. He's absolutely. the only guy I think that will block out the rest of the the sun. Of This isn't a good time to do this play. I What am I going to do from the, if I hear it from the coach if this happens at this moment? It's just this right here in this moment is the best play to give us a chance to score a goal. And I love that because it, it shouldn't be I'm going to do this to embarrass this guy because that's when it doesn't work. Because then you start looking to find moments to do yes, that where it's exactly. not the best moment to do it. He does it in a moment, in a split second, where he's made the decision that this is the best way I'm going to score the goal. And I and I think what makes it so deceptive is just that, right? Is that nobody knows he's going to do it until it, he knows he's going to do it, right? It's just <laughs> yeah, like yeah, yeah. It, there's no planning. Like for from what we saw leading into the season before anybody else had done in Michigan, it was okay, you know, Svetchkov, for example. I am parked behind the net for five minutes and then I have a really kind of slow lead up. I put my stick over the puck, and everybody knows it's coming the moment that happens. you get a defensive who moves in and starts slashing the stick. Like both of the goals he scored this year were the one against Montreal was a bit more traditional, if you want to call it that, but it was still like fluidity. Like he was skating behind the net, he picked it up in a split second, and it was in the back of the net. In this one, like, it was as quick as you can ever get a Michigan off. Like, it, it it's ridiculous. Like, <laughs> it was off the shot, the puck bounced onto his stick, and immediately he has it on the blade, scooping it into the top corner. Like, there is no way to defend that. Like, you literally just cannot defend that and look for that to happen, which is what I think sets it apart. From anybody else who who has pulled that off or attempted to do it, it's just the deceptiveness of, of like in the moment he decided to do that and it happened. There was no
1: yeah, exactly. It's, it's not yeah. even deceptiveness; it's spontaneity. Right? Yeah, it's 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 there is no tell, exactly like you said, right? Even the past to Milano, right? He he manipulates the tell mm-hmm. by you know he, he picks it up and he and then he's like oh, and so he pops it over the top. He wasn't trying to do that. Milano even said in the thing, Milano was yelling at him, do the Michigan, not pass it over the top, do the Michigan. And he just gets to hear and he sees something else. Like, again, if you take the 10 guys in the league that have the combination of skill and fearlessness to try that play and you give them all 100 chances, five out of those, maybe – is someone gonna think, oh, I can go over the top of the net? I can go vertical.
2: I don't think there's that many. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, like,
1: I, that's what I'm like. It, it's just
2: and to, just to block everything else out, like that. And I, you got to give—I would assume—you got to give Dallas Aikens credit for that in a sense to know that, like, if that fucked up, he's not gonna go back to the bench and get screamed at. By Daryl Sutter or whoever, right? Like there is something right. to that, but the the ability to just kind of block everything else out, to not worry about if it's going to mess up, to not worry about if if what the consequences are going to be if that play, like he's confident enough that he believes that that is the best play in that moment that's going to lead to a goal, and three times it it has, and there haven't been too many times where he's attempted something ridiculous like that and it hasn't panned out, right? Like there hasn't been a flip mm-hmm. over the net. He had one where he tried to do it again, and, and it didn't work. I think
1: Milano tried to do oh, it. Oh,
2: yeah, Milano did it, yeah. But, so, like, that's the thing, too. That's why you can't even get mad, because it's not like he's just doing this just to do it to show off. Right. Like, that's... that's We've seen guys do that in the past, where they'll they'll try these flashy things to just do them. They're not the best moment to do it. Like, you can see that with like He only th- pulls it out when, like, in his mind, there's a very good chance it's going to pay off. And it, and it has so far, so you've you got to give him credit for that, that... It uh, in the times that he's chosen to do it, it looked great. It's amazing. It's fun to watch, but it it's panned out. It's played. It's played out. It's paid off for for attempting that. And that's that's all you want. Like I I want to see him do it when it's going to pay off. And that's the that's the thing that's more spectacular. But because you get to this gaudy like attempting to just be skillful because you're a creative player type thing when you're just doing it all the time and it's leading to a turnover or it's not paying off or whatever and I like I just we just really haven't seen that off, seen that happen like he just knows the time to to use that skill to his advantage.
1: Yeah, I I think, you know, I think you can go back through, you know, through the season and find different examples of him. Uh, I want to say this carefully. Uh, you could argue he is making overly complicated plays like i remember watching earlier in the season and i think i tweeted it out but like it was one of those things where like he tried something and i watched him try it and it didn't work and the comment i had was he's going to go back to the bench and dallas Aikens is going to walk over to him place his hand on his shoulder and just say keep it simple that's it not scold him not yell at him not what the fuck are you doing? You can't, you know, you're gonna get cross-checked in the face if you keep the shit up, you're gonna set guys off, you're not playing it can job you. It's just simple. Like, hey, we're getting there. And you know, to your credit, like you know, we've said before, like I think that that is one of the areas in which Dallas Akins clearly deserves some credit, is is fostering an environment in which these players feel comfortable trying these kinds of things and obviously Zegras is a very special talent in a very special circumstance as far as uh, what he means the franchise and all this different kind of stuff but the fact of the matter is is like there's a lot of guys who if they tried that their coach would lose their shit Yep. and rightly or wrongly you know that would be the reaction and and, and for Akins is just kind of like you know, like, like, if it's there, go for it. I don't want to discourage you from being creative. I don't want to s- discourage you from being dynamic. But just don't do it all the time. And we've seen a couple of times where he should shoot. Instead, he makes one of those spinning, uh, you know, those spinning passes. Or he, maybe you could argue he's got an easier backhand and he goes for between the legs and stuff. But he's not, he, he's not trying to be the Harlem Globetrotters. Mm-hmm. He's trying to be the Golden State Warriors, right? Like, there's a, there, there's a fundamental difference between I'm doing this for entertainment and I'm doing this to win because I can do it. Yeah. And and,
2: and and he's a rookie. He's 21. Like, these are things where, you know, like, he can pull it off and he's doing it in situations where it pans out. And those little things like that where it's like, okay, like, in this instance, keep it simple. Like, he's a player that's still learning, which is – scary for mm-hmm. other teams that you get to a point where he's a smart enough hockey player that once you start getting the reps in and you start you know feeling out these moments and getting used to them and they become kind of repetitive and similar you kind of know what moments to use those in where it's like oh god like he's just going to get to a point where okay I know exactly what to do in this moment it's not what I did you know 20 30 40 50 games ago now I know like this this play here keep it simple you know cross it through the seam right to a guy back post into the back of the net i don't need to do the spin pass here i don't need to do anything fancy i don't need to drop it back like this is the play. so th- that's what you love to see and, and that's great and you gotta you like we you've already said you gotta give dallas higgins credit for that and, and not hampering him and, and saying listen you can't do that no just keep it simple in that moment keep it simple next time whatever you know try yep. try it hey. again keep it simple and and we'll go from there and that i think that's that's scary for his future development to get to a point where we already know we can pull this off because he's doing that now but to get mm-hmm. to a decision making point where okay i know in this moment i don't have to do that which is scary
1: right well that's that's the thing right like uh, like that's fundam like again sounds stupid you're welcome shane uh but like fundamentally that's what experiences is is just data entry right you're just building up these things you know so the first time you go down the board and you're like, Oh, I think I can pull an outside in move here. And then you get fucking obliterated and you're like, okay, that didn't work. Did I go too slow? Did I go too fast? Did I not have the space I had? You're learning. So the second time you go to try it and you pull it off you're like, okay, now I see it was different. And then you keep doing it. And now all of a sudden, second, third, fourth year of your career, that same situation is, and you're like, okay, he's there, I've been here before, I know how much space I have, I know how quick this guy is, like, I know what I'm doing, and you can make the best possible decision based on the individual circumstance. That is, and, and, and that ability to make the best decision is that in, in intensified or uh, magnified by the skill to make that, make the play in a unique way, right? Because again, the spinning pass, it's a cross-ice pass, right? That's, it's just, that's all it is. You're just trying to go from one side of the ice to the other, force the goalie to get moving, hope the puck gets there faster, your guy finishes it off. That's all, it's the same shit. There's no difference. Just it's a layer of like
2: simply... being deceptive or to exactly. throw people off or whatever. It's
1: it's 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 you know again like it's equivalent to like a step back. It's mm-hmm. just adding in a layer that changes the you know can kind of changes the calculus for the defender of what it is that is happening, and we've seen guys on his team not be ready for it, and we've seen guys on his team have been ready for it. That's also part of that experience, right? Because like we've been saying. there's a level of spontaneity to what Zegres is doing that catches everybody off guard. So the more guys play with him, the more comfortable they're going to be playing with him, the more they'll be able to anticipate a little bit what he's going to do. And that's, you know, like you said, that's the part of it that is scary is he's only going to get better. He's only going to get smarter. He's only going to have more experience and more confidence and i mean shit it already feels like the game's moving in bullet speed for or bullet time for him you know what i mean like the game's gonna get slower for him
0: That's indeed.com slash blue wire sports and support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast indeed.com slash blue wire sports terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed.
2: Well, he's going to start to recognize, you know, tendencies of opponents that he goes against often, mm-hmm. and how to exploit their weaknesses, and like, this is a kid, I don't know, every player does this, but every time you see him head to the bench after a play that didn't work, he's got the iPad, he's sitting there analyzing the play, you know, figuring out what he did wrong, what didn't work, and then taking that into the next time he gets into that situation and doing something different, and, and adjusting his play for that, so it's it's something that, yeah, it's, it's scary for other teams, exciting for us, that over the next couple seasons, as he starts to figure out you know, uh, some of the top defenders in the game and how to kind of utilize some of these these opportunities, getting in the spaces and kind of manipulate those spaces better than he has been, that he'll just get into this area where it's like, no matter what, he's making the top tier play and the right play in that situation. He's got the skill already to pull it off, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and that that's the thing that like, there are rookies that come into this league and have a great year and they're like, okay, that's, uh, the sophomore slump was always a thing because other teams figured them out. And right. how to stop them. He's got this level to him of creativity where he will do anything. And a lot of things that you haven't seen where I just don't see that coming. And sure, I could get proven wrong next year. But it's like mm-hmm. there's just a air to him that that won't happen. Right? Like he'll get into next season and you won't know how to stop him because you don't know what's coming. A lot of guys have a move, a, a way they kind of, a, a way they're comfortable entering the zone with, and the way they set up, and where they go, and for a lot of rookies, like until they get their reps in, like they're set into kind of this comfortable way of playing. Like he plays, it's maybe not the best way to say, it, but he like plays in an uncomfortable way, in the sense that like he with just freedom, yeah, yeah, he just does anything in the moment, whatever he thinks is the best play. There's no set move or set kind of rhythm to the way he plays. It's just kind of controlled chaos where he'll do whatever works in that moment and very very difficult to defend against and it's why as a rookie in this league he's been made a lot of guys look ridiculous because you don't know what to expect like he's the first one who's going to know and it's usually in the moment and then you've got to just as quick to analyze what he's doing and figure it out or he's already passed you
1: yeah no I mean uh, you know like you look at a player like Jack Hughes right and Jack Hughes has been a very good player his entire time in the NHL. He hasn't had the on-ice success or the on-ice numbers or things like that at certain place times, and, and the team has struggled and yada, yada, yada. But, like, anybody watch watched Jack Hughes, you're like, yeah, this kid's really good. And this year, we're seeing what that two, three years of him learning was. Like, this is the result of that. That's why when he signs an 8 by 8 everybody's like, yeah, 100%. Why wouldn't you? That's yeah. just who he is. Yeah. And his numbers may or may not have been there before, and his impact, may or may not, But like, it's just the reps yep. that he's learning, and he's just going to continue to get better. He's incredibly skilled. I don't, I don't want this in any way to feel like I'm trying to come uh, diminish Jack Hughes or anything like that, because he his game is just different stylistically. The thing about it that sets Cedric apart is is that spontaneity and that creativity which just, again, like it just changes the calculus of the way people react to him because it's, again, it's one thing to see, to be like a defenseman, right? You're like a veteran defenseman. You're watching this kid come down to the right and you're like, all right, like he can dump it. He can try to move it inside out, blah, blah, blah. So let's see what he does. You see, you know, he kind of tries to make his move. You're ready to you react. Maybe you get beat, maybe you don't, but you could see what was happening right you could see it coming towards you and it's just about your ability to stop it i don't know how <laughs> i don't know how you're supposed to see this kid on the right side of the ice making this insane spinning pass that ends up leading the guy he's passing it to like you know what i mean like i yeah. don't there's not really a way to see that coming and so it just gives him a couple extra seconds here or you know half seconds here it gives him a little bit of extra space right it, he can create space he can create time by just sheer ridiculousness in, in in a way so you know again like as he as he continues to get those reps in as he continues to just play more hockey at this level and see the way guys are Um, he's just gonna get better and it's, it's insane that he has been as good as he's been this year and everybody's still like, this isn't even close, like he is going to be better than this, you know, like, uh... and again, first year, so this kind of gets dicey or whatever, but like, you know, I, I think one of the things that kind of in my head, I use to kind of differentiate where different players are at is is awards and i I know that sounds silly because some of it can be narrative based and market based and all this other stuff and we were just talking about bunting and being 55 years old and all that shit yeah but trevor Zegers is the first guy that i've seen join this teams in 15 years that i'm like oh he could win a heart trophy like he he could win a heart trophy Because for the same reason he could win the Calder this year, he's going to have highlight plays, he's going to have raw numbers, and he is clearly impactful. And again, we can get to this down the line, but I think that's what's so frustrating about some of the conversation from some of the idiots around the Jay Beagle thing is he's not... He's not going – this isn't and one. He's not going out there with the intent of I'm going to embarrass you four times and then I'm going to make a layup. Yeah. Right? This is – I am going to beat you the best way that I can right now and it's going to look cool and that's just because I can't. It's not because I – it's not because I'm choosing to do this to you. It's this is the best way right now for me to have the impact that I want.
2: You let this happen. Like. Like, you yeah. gave me this space. You allowed right. me to do this. It Like, that, that, and we'll, look, we might as well transition to it because we got to get to it at some point. We, mm-hmm. I, is the whole Jay Beagle thing. Though, I want to kick it off to kind of marry the two topics together. One of the things, I, I think it was, does it, Tyler Nash, Tyson Nash? The, Tyson Nash. Tyson yeah. Nash. One of the things that he said that a lot of people keyed in on was, like, if you're going to do this, you're going to pull this. Skill it up. Yeah, skill it up and pull off these plays, expect to get punched in the face. Well, stop him. Like, your whole. Job out there is to stop him from doing this as an opposing team. Like, don't let don't let it happen. Don't put yourself in a position to let it happen. You, what, you want him to not do that play. Like he scored off of it. Like, <laughs> you you want them to not pull off these plays. If you don't want to lose five nothing, don't put yourself in a position to lose five nothing. Doesn't mean you have to go out there and 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 you know punch a guy or you know jump Terry like Beagle did because you're losing five nothing to a team that. You know, pull the Michigan off on you and it's on an 11-game losing streak. Like, you don't want to be put in that position. Don't put yourself in that position. You know, right. don't don't put it on the skill guy for doing that to you and he deserves this because he did this to you. If anything, you deserve it to happen to you because you let it happen. <laughs> like, no, <laughs> yeah. Nobody, it's not his fault that he did this. It was the best play to pull off in that situation. It fucking worked. He scored. You shouldn't have let it happen. Somebody should be getting screamed at on the bench. I know it's very hard to stop that play the way he pulled it off. But that should not happen. It's it's not on Trevor Ziegris for pulling off an, a skilled play. And you know, listen, I'm sure Nash regrets saying it with all the the controversy that's come, come? from. Man, I don't know. But I maybe I like because he was. I I heard he was praising Ziegris beforehand for the skill. Maybe it didn't come across as well. Again you're a homer on your your home broadcast you, you get into it you get heated you you know you take a side and it doesn't look great for you publicly at the end of the day i'd like to give him the benefit of the doubt it was a dumb remark uh, distasteful in the moment when a guy is down on the ice and hurt uh, and then to you know take the old school approach that it's clearly not worked out for a lot of people this year and say it's because you know a guy was being skillful and fun and exciting to watch that if you play like that you should expect to get punched in the face you should know that that's gonna backfire like that that is obvious in that moment but I'd like to give him the benefit uh, of the doubt but it's hard
0: here's
1: here's the thing for me because when Zegers made the Milano pass Rick Tockett went on TV on TNT and said I would not like to think about how I would have reacted to that. Like, I don't know, you know, that, you know, I would have handled that well. I would have tried to kill that kid. And everybody lost their mind. And my thing was like, yo, like, I get what talking is saying. If you're going to try this slick shit, people are going to try to stop you. There is going to be physical attempts at deterring you right whether that's not even aiming for your stick the next time they see you start and just hacking you on the leg right or if it's giving you a cross check the next time you're in front of the net or something like that that's not what happened yesterday or Friday night, and that's the thing about this that has been bothering me, and it's specifically with what Tyson Nash said, I, I I don't even necessarily disagree with the idea of, like, yo, if you're gonna scale it up, and you're gonna be out here embarrassing some of these guys, they're not gonna handle this well, and some of these guys are lesser players, they're going to have the lizard part of their brain kick in, and they're gonna pop you, like, okay, man, like, I get that that's still part of the game, that's still, you know, one of those things, like, Pick your favorite defenseman above six foot one, and we can all go find a clip of them, cross-checking someone in the back in the crease when they're laying down. I got, um. You know, I, I don't want to overblow that whole part of it. The part that Jay Beagle did that is the problem is he immediately threw his gloves off. And started popping a 24-year-old kid who was never going to fight him, was never going to fight him, just right in the face. Like, it wasn't even close, dude. He just threw him off, grabbed that jersey, and just started going for it. And that's the thing about it that is frustrating is Trevor Terry didn't do that shit. uh, Trevor Ziggers did. So – the cross-check that Troy Terry was responding to, honestly, I'm not even tripping. That happens. You're going to go to the front of the net. You're yeah. going to poke at the goalie's glove. This is what's going to happen. Whether, you know, like, whether it was covered up or whether it was loose. If you poke the goalie's glove, you know someone is going to hit you. Whether it's a whether it's a tap, whether it's a bunny punch, whether it's a face wash, whether it's a cross-check. Like, these things are going to happen. They're... they're, they're they're an inevitability in a certain sense when you're looking at game that combines speed and skill and physicality in the way that hockey does. What Jay Beagle did was take advantage of a kid man. like Jay Beagle should fucking know better. That's the part of this that is so frustrating for me is Jay Beagle has been around for a long time. He's been a part of teams that have had success. You know, he was on that Capitals team that, won the Stanley Cup like he has been an impactful depth player uh you know for for legitimate teams you know whether that's kind of him being like a lesser of a Casey Sezikas type where he's like oh damn dude he just might be one of the best bottom six centers in the league or whatever he's he's been there and I think you know you contrast that with what Louis Erickson did in that moment yeah the, the right moment thing. everything everything broke out, Louis Erickson, you can watch the clip. He goes straight to Trevor Zegris, grabs him all the way around from behind, and it is explicitly just to keep him from making a mistake, which is going and fighting Jay Beagle. Yep. Because Tro- <laughs> Trevor and Cam were both ready to go fight Jay Beagle for what he did to Troy Terry. Yep. I have never seen Cam like that. I have never seen Cam lose his shit like that. He lost it. And I i, I loved so much to see Cam th- that emotionally volatile, I guess, because that to me is him very much understanding his role on this team now. He is one of the last real long-term veterans on this team. He's been there since the beginning of it all. He went through all of the ups and all of the downs, and now he's on this team, and it looks like when this team is coming out of it, he's going to be around and he's going to be part of it. And so, you know, he's taking care of these kids in the way that he can. Again, he's not overly physical. He's not going to really go fight guys, but apparently he will now because he would have... Even if he would have lost, I know he was ready to go fight Jay Beagle over that shit. Same thing with Trevor Zegers. And you see Louis Erickson grab Trevor Zegers and just be like, don't do it. It's not worth it. Don't do it. This isn't what you want to be. Stay away from it. And he, you know, and Trevor's doing the whole pushing his arms off of him thing and fucking just yelling at him. And Cam is yelling at Jay Beagle and everybody's going wild. And then Tyson Nash says this stupid shit, Yo, if you want to skill it up, you're going to have to prepare for this. And like I said, like that's not what happened. That's the problem for me. This wasn't Jay Beagle reacting to skill. This was Jay Beagle shitting his pants on national TV because they were losing five nothing. Yeah, and he knew exactly who it was who jumped on his back. He knew exactly who it was because the moment he turns around, those gloves are off. Mm-hmm. He, you can see it. He fucking turns around he grabs it he grabs him throws his gloves off he starts going troy terry never tries to drop his gloves never tries to throw a punch all these fucking idiots online who are like oh he threw a gloved right no dude he he was in a regular scrub he
2: he held them they broke out of a scrub he tried to go
1: over his back to grab him we've seen people do this for a hundred fucking years in professional hockey like we don't have to lie about what the fuck this is man you go into a scrum, yeah, sometimes it goes bad, right? Like, that stuff happens, people get out of hand. Part of being a veteran in this game is is knowing these kinds of things, it, you know? And I, I've said it to you a couple times off show, but, like, uh, you know, because the conversation about deterrence and enforcers and all of that, and, you know, you can – we'll get to that. Yeah, but we'll, like we'll, we'll get to that one. <laughs> the, the thing for me is, is like – I think I said this to you that, like, I think the fact that it seems genuinely justifiable to say it didn't matter what the scoreline was or who was on the ducks, Jay Beagle was going to do that. To me, that is a fucking insane indictment of Jay Beagle's character, Mm. because the idea that you are going to take advantage of a young skilled player in a game like that simply for being young and skilled and being on the other team is embarrassing. Yep. Like I said to you, Ryan Reeves never does that. He's not going to do that. Ryan Reeves, as much as people do or don't believe in it, there is a a rough code or, or ethical concept and construct around the way some of these things happen. You are always going to have players who operate outside the rules of that, and that is why so many people were so angry Friday night that Delorier wasn't there, that Manson wasn't there, that even Ryan Getzloff wasn't there because there wasn't anybody to either prevent it in the idea that maybe Jay Beagle doesn't do that if he knows someone is there who's going to beat the shit out of him for it or somebody know, or he knows that somebody's going to go run Clayton Keller. Or, you know, Clayton Keller's not in the game, so, like, Chicken's the guy. But, like... That's a real – like, somebody could go run Jacob Chipper because of what Jay Beagle did. And now Jay Beagle has to go sit there and look at Jacob Chicker and be like, damn, I know you're really good and I suck. But sorry, buddy, I had to pop this 24-year-old kid in the face. What was I going to do? Not punch him? Like, it, it's it's just embarrassing to me. And mm-hmm. to not have – someone around like and and you made the point about like sam carrick was there and like you know sam carrick was already in the box and he had kind of been in a fight that's and like that fight pissed me off because the ref very clearly went in and stopped camp sam carrick from doing it but didn't stop the other guy from doing anything like the other guy popped sam carrick multiple times and sam carrick could not get out from under the linesman if you're gonna break up a fight break it up stop the fight i you know what i mean either yeah. let them fight or stop it you cannot go in and just grab one guy and let him get (sighs) swung listen like my my whole thing
2: about this is the circumstances you are in at that game if that moment is replayed thousand times i don't care who's (laughs) on the bench that is happening that is my whole thing for this like listen i get I get the deterrent factor. Like, we had a whole argument about this with with us and Pat and Jason in in the podcast chat. I get when you start a game, if DeLore is on the bench, some guys will think twice in certain moments about doing things. I don't think anything happens early. Like, I don't think anybody gets run if you necessarily have a guy and you know that this guy will come after you or one of your stars. I, I think that's a thing. I think it can happen. My problem with this moment is cherry-picking this individual moment and saying, this is why we need an enforcer. I don't think that applies you think that's disingenuous? Because you're down 5 nothing, you're at home, you got dunked on by a 21-year-old kid, there was just a fight before this, you're losing this bad to a team that just rattled off 11 straight losses, and you are one of the worst teams in the league just getting absolutely embarrassed. And then you've got a moment where things had already boiled over before. You've got now a scrum that's starting in front of the net. Troy Terry digs at the goaltender. It warrants a, not that, but it warrants, you know, a little scuffle, pushing, whatever, you know, like normal things after you kind of go a little bit too far with, yeah. with the goaltender. And Beagle, with the, uh, the emotions boiling over, took it way too far to a level that it's not acceptable, where. He just felt like, alright, I'm gonna unload on this kid in this moment. I think that I don't think he even thought in the moment who's on the bench. I don't think if DeLore is there, that changes. He does that. He does not care. I don't think yeah. you you could have Ryan Reeves, you could have Deloria, you could have all the, the enforcers you want on the ducks right. bench at that moment. I think Jay Beagle still does that. Which like you said, it's a real indictment of his character in that moment. He boiled over to a point where he did something ridiculously stupid that shouldn't have happened. But this whole thing, you know, this doesn't happen if DeLore is there. That's what bothers me. Because then we're starting to kind of play, overplay the role of enforcers in that moment. And to say, oh, you need him there to go and make a retaliation play after that. I don't think you have to. Beagle is done for the game. You've got a five-minute power play in a game. You're up 5 nothing. with basically the rest of the time you're going to be on the power play for the rest of that game. I don't think to say you needed DeLore to go out there and now you need to retaliate by going after one of their young kids, that's hypocritical to me. We talked about this a little bit before the show. If you, as a fan, do not like what Jay Beagle did to Troy Terry, you cannot sit there and say, oh, we need Des to then go fuck up Clayton Keller or whoever the young player is on the ice right. because you're just contradicting yourself. If you don't like that happened happen to Troy Terry, you can't expect that and be okay with that happening to another young unsuspecting player on another team because it shouldn't happen. This Jay Beagle situation shouldn't happen and any retribution beyond that shouldn't happen. If you want to say next time they play or if there was more time that somebody's gonna go fuck up Jay Beagle or one of their tough guys who is used to this and is mm-hmm. their role in the then that's fine with me. That that's fine. But there's there's no moment that you should be advocating for this to go happen to somebody else if you're upset that it happened to Troy Terry. And the notion that this doesn't happen with DeLore on the bench. Is ridiculous because this moment is unique in its own, with the way things were going in the game at that moment. That this, I believe, this would have happened
1: no matter what.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, I, yeah, I. I mean, look, it's it's an eye for an eye leaves the whole world blind, right? Like that's kind of the issue here. Is to your to your point, it, it is in so many ways hypocritical. I mean cuz really what it is right is what we're saying is the only thing that can stop a good team a bad team with a gun is a good team with a gun like it's 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 the same shit and it's it's very hard for me to separate sometimes because there are times where I see hockey as just the world that we live in. And I'm like, yo, dude, there are basic rules. Like there are basic things that we all agree should or shouldn't happen. And when things get outside of those rules, there needs to be consequences, but we should probably try to keep it from, you know, medieval. And, uh, somebody got to my thing that I was, I was looking at last night. We'll get to that. Um, but I also think that there's times where you can't necessarily completely overlay the world's morality or moral structure mm-hmm. with sports because they're different. There, there is a, a, a context to sports that happens that creates a situation in which this shit isn't normal, right? Yeah. Like perfect example what was it? Wednesday? I think it was maybe Thursday. We got the report that uh, a couple of kind of, I don't want to say fights, but cause especially cause of the names involved, but like,
0: you know, a yeah. couple
1: of the, the players on the ducks were going at each other at practice and got heated. I think one of them was like steel and Mahura. And then there were like two other guys and it got heated and they got into it. I, everybody, everybody who's watching this, that isn't a professional athlete. The next time, you think one of your coworkers is slacking. I want you to go over there and threaten them to a fist fight and <laughs> see if your boss goes to the media afterward and goes, hey, he's just a passionate. They're just passionate. They're just passionate. That's all. Look, man, we're all trying to make each other better. Sometimes it gets a little out of time. I'm not saying I want each other to beat each other up. But at the end of the day, these guys are guys trying to hold each other accountable. This is them being motivated to win. They don't like that they're on this fucking losing streak, and they're trying to ad- do, adjust uh, address that imperfectly or not oh no, dude you're gonna go to jail if you go fight bob in accounting for getting a number wrong like you're going to jail you can't do that so i i don't always like or feel comfortable with some of the one-for-one comparisons right that being said i 100 understand why you 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 can't have guys going out and running kids for running your kids. The problem there, and to kind of combine these two things, is you can create a perception that you're a team that can be taken advantage of, and whether or not fans want to feel that that's real, whether or not coaches or teams or whatever want to feel like that is a thing that exists, right? We saw Timu tweet about it and said he was like, we should just go find Kaidomi. And protect these kids because I don't like the way these kids are getting pushed around. I don't like. Timo Salani is not stupid. He's an all-time great. He's one of the best goal scorers in the history of the game. The greatest finished player of all time. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, but again, like we said from the account the other day, Ken Dryden doesn't fucking agree with that either. Ken Dryden thinks this is just a situation that is essentially some form of cultural rot that just creates these happening over and over and over again where you've just got guys punching each other and then guys hitting kids and then guys punching each other and then guys hitting kids and you know there isn't a consensus about that kind of stuff but there there are guys in this league who will see that and think that teams can get taken advantage of and that is i think the thing right where like me and you are a little bit separated on this and where I kind of come down closer with like Pat and Jay is I don't ever want to see these kids get taken advantage of simply because the other team knows they don't have a big brother and that's what bothers me right it's I if think it's Trevor because we we starts a fight then he starts a fight like Taylor Hall's gotten in a fight we saw Landis Scott McKinnon like I look if you ask me I would love if Trevor Zegras troy terry never gotten a fight in their career i will also tell you one of my favorite moments as a ducks fan is watching uh excuse me watching Timu solani beat the brakes off of brad richards at the end of that ducks kings game in like 2014 ish he beat the brakes off of him it was Timu solani's first fight in his entire career he was like 41 years old at that point And this is Timo, who played in the fucking 90s and early 2000s when everybody fought. Like, goalies were fighting. You know what I mean? Like, Ray Emery was one of the best enforcers in the league. And he was a goalie. Like, it's, you know, like, so... I don't know. I feel like I'm rambling. I'm, I'm kind of losing myself a little bit here. But I just think it's important to understand that, like... Nobody wants these kids to get hurt. Nobody wants someone to go run at Jacob Chicker But nobody wants other teams to think it's okay to do it because there won't be repercussions. And that is the part of this where you start to get into some of the dicey area, which is like, if D'Lo is around, does D'Lo go? Does he go run the goalie? Right? Like, like is there a thing that he does to set it? And where is the line for what is acceptable? Right? Like, I remember hearing a story from. There's I – I can't think of the name of it, but there's a documentary, uh, like Ice Guardians or something like that. There's a documentary yeah. about fighting. Yeah, I think and, it's that one. Um, I think it's Merrick tells a story or someone tells a story. But basically there was, there was a young guy running around and getting physical and throwing bodies and just being a real asshole. And the enforcer on the other team skated over to the enforcer on his team. And looked at him and said, if you don't get him come under control, I'm going to fuck you up. Do you know what the other guy did? He sat the rookie down and said, knock it the fuck off because I'm not doing this you. Yeah. I'm not going to get my ass kicked because you're being an asshole. That's the part of this that is real. That's the part of this that matters. There is something to be said. You are not going to go kick someone's ass or try to kick someone's ass or pull some fucking dirty shit if there is someone to hold you accountable. Yeah. My- Again, Jay Beagle, the situation with Jay Beagle, I understand your point, and, and I am regrettably coming to your side a little bit on this one as far as this feels like an incident that exists outside of that because it's so clearly fucked up and it is so clearly outside of the course of play. Um, you know, so I, I 100% understand that but there is something to be said i think that a lot of fans seeing this happen to troy terry and being like and nothing's gonna happen now to jay people now to war war 09's comment in our chat this is something i was looking at last night 426 arizona plays minnesota you know who plays in minnesota now nick delorier you know who i bet you's pretty fucking pissed nick delorier i would not be surprised if nick delorier beats the shit out of Jay Beagle in that game. Do I think it's guaranteed to happen? No, because he's on a new team, he has new responsibilities, he has, you know, he has has a responsibility to be the best player he can for the guys on his team right now. Do I think if he can find an excuse that Nick Delaurier will break his stick over the back of Jay Beagle's head for fucking up Troy Terry like that? Yeah, I absolutely do. And I think it's justified. I would not have Honestly, dude, like this is one of those ones where, again, like my Cro-Magnon, I watch too many mob movies, brain kicks in. Because I'm just like, I would start calling guys on other teams. I give you 500 bucks to fuck them up. I'll give you a grand. I- I'll wash your car myself. Like, I- what do you want? I will buy you a popcorn machine, anything. Go fuck this guy up for me because I can't go do it and I'm not going to go fight him at an agent's office, right? Uh-huh. Like, there's only so many ways that you can address these kinds of things. And to everybody's credit, if Department of Player Safety isn't going to do it, that's then that's the, the problem. Have to do it themselves. And is somebody should decision.
2: be doing it, right? We shouldn't be. I think getting to the point that this has to happen. I'll let you finish because I have a point I want to get into. But go, 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 go. You're good. I I just the the thing is, I think like we get wrapped into this twisted circle where none of us want to see the stars get hurt but to not see the stars get hurt we then have to have more of these guys who are in most of the time doing the 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 play that are making the play that ends up hurting the stars right like it's a twister circle nobody wants to see Terry get hurt nobody wants to see McDavid Matthews get hurt but the rationale to keeping them from getting hurt is to bring more guys in who have the tendency to do that like that right. that's the problem is how are we ever... And if the league and player safety aren't going to hold guys accountable, then we're stuck in this loop where mm-hmm. none of us want to see guys get hurt, but we want to see our guy hurt another guy. Like, that that's the problem for me as we get into this, this loop. And, like, listen, I get... The, the, problem, like, the problem when I get into some of these arguments, there's a lot of people who... You, that you can't... I'm, I'm on both sides in the sense I see the value of an enforcer... And I in from a blanket start of the game, you know this guy is there. You maybe don't do something. I agree with that. I can see that. I know if I'm playing a game and I and there's this guy over there who I know can fuck me up. I'm probably not going to touch that guy or any of the other guys that I that like that will get me in trouble mm-hmm. with this guy. So I can see that for sure. I 100 percent understand that. But it, it like to then go out there and say like in this situation, I don't think it would matter, and I don't think you really need this guy there's other ways to go about it. Like that is my thought process with that. But if you, you get an argument where immediately me saying that means I don't like fighting and I don't like enforcers Mm -hmm. and and whatever. I think there, there's a a middle ground. You can go about this where you can get guys who can do that guys like Tanner, you and others that do something else that also can provide that same protection to your star players. And then you actually get the league and the refs to step up and work towards actually protecting the stars in this league so that you don't need to have more guys who will actually Mm -hmm. do that to other star players like we don't want to see stars get hurt so why do we want our guy to then go fuck up their star player because their guy messed up our star player Mm -hmm. that that's that's the the problem i have is because we get sucked into this circle here where none of us want to see guys get hurt but if our guy gets hurt well now that guy has to get hurt and then we never get out of it because it's just like a re- recurring circle mm-hmm. because these are the guys hurting the star players. And for us to feel okay, we now need our guy to go mess up their star player. Right. And there used to be an era where, like you had mentioned, like the you know the, the, the rookie was running around being a little bit too wild. The enforcer came to their enforcer and said, listen, I'm going to fuck you up, not him. I'm going to fuck you up right. if he doesn't cut it out. And we got to this area where, no, 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 we're targeting these guys now. These guys are hurting us. Like they're that skilled i'm gonna target this guy and there's a lot of guys who won't do that reeves won't do that i don't think DeLore would do that like there are guys who have that code still in them that they won't target the star player the problem is there's not a lot of those guys left so you just have to go out and if you want an enforcer get a guy who can fight and hit and there's a lot of them out there who will target the star player to be able to do something to have an impact on the game and with that number dwindling, you're getting a lot of those guys in there. We're, we're coming across this problem where, yeah, there's some good enforcers in this league. Guys who will not go out and do that. Like I said, Reeves and Deloria and others who won't do that. But you have a lot of them who will. And you have to be able to split that and understand that like we don't need the guys who are doing that. We can keep the guys who, who are. But realistically, if we get rid of the guys who are doing that... Do you need the guys who are there to protect the right. star players? If we're protecting the star players in other ways, do I need Deloria on my bench if he's all he's there to do is protect the star players?
1: Yes. <laughs> like... No, but I know I, you're 100% <laughs> right. It, it's funny because, um, you know, the, the thing I was thinking about when you were talking about that is Brian Burke made comment uh, when he was in Toronto where he went on like some tirade. Um, because somebody, somebody hit one of the Toronto star uh, skill players and he just lost his shit about it. And he was like, I got Colt Moore on my team. He goes, I have to keep him in the minors because he like, he can't find an honest fight out there. Right. Like I, I don't have room for him on my team to protect my guys because all these other guys are like Antoine Roussel types. Yeah where they're not heavyweights they're probably not even middleweights a lot of them don't actually want to fight but they are willing to go in and do that slick shit and try to slew foot or hurt guys or whatever and he's like i don't what like colt nor is a good kid he would go out there he's gonna play the right way again matt martin right is another guy like this that if you're looking like i just like like if you put together you know If you got Stu Grimson, Matt Martin, uh, I think Bob Probert passed away, so I can't say him. But, like, you know what I mean? Like, if you could just get the 35-year-old versions of all of these guys, right? And you ask them and you go, all right, is what Jay Beagle did okay? No. Who should have to pay? Jay Beagle. Right. What if you can't get to him? Now we have a problem, right? Like, I, I just think, to your point, we have seen the game get so fast and so skilled that the guys who can <laughs> uh, they,
2: they gotta find a way to stick around
1: with, the guys who can operate within the system that everyone semi-agrees with right and this is why I said it's kind of like you know the Cro-Magnon mob movie part of my brain right because like in mob movies they're always like they, they, the word they use is civilians right they're all like nobody in this game didn't know what they were getting into Right? like I remember there's an episode early in The Sopranos where Tony talks about that. To his, uh, he's talking to Melfi. And he's just like, we all know what we got into. This is a very specific thing. You do not go outside of it. You do not involve people that have nothing to do with it. Th- that's not how this works. But if you're in this, there are consequences that exist outside of the normal realm of behavior. And I think that's... That's the part of it for a lot of people that is very frustrating. And to Pat's credit, I thought he made a really great point when I think it was Friedman tweeted out that uh, Department of Player Safety said there was not going to be uh, any looking into the Jay Beagle incident. And Pat, he hit it right on the head. He said, of course there's not. That's not what they want. They want the players to police this themselves. The the league has decided, GMs, NHLPA, whatever— Everybody has a vested interest in not having the Department of Player Safety be, you know, the car- the stick in the stick and carrot with the league. And I get why people get frustrated. I get why it's, it's infuriating to see Nick Ritchie probably rightfully get a game for smacking Kevin Shattenkirk in the head, but Jay Beagle doesn't even get a phone call for punching Troy Terry in the face multiple times. Like, I I get why that's infuriating, and I get why people want to blame the Department of Player Safety, and I don't Mm want to say that they don't have some level of culpability because they do have the ability, you know, to, to try to make an impact. But at the same time, I think we need to admit that they are handcuffed by the GMs and by the NHLPA, from actually being able to make substantive changes or deal out the type of suspensions and fines and punishments that can maybe actually stop this. Like somebody said it the other day, like we need to stop calling them. They were fined $5,000 saying that just being like, they weren't punished. And like, I understand that point, but it kind of annoys me because it's like, but that's what they're allowed to do. Like, Mm -hmm that's the punishment you can say it's not a real punishment because these guys are making 100 you know uh, these guys are making two three million dollars a year or even guys on you know uh, baby contracts or two-way contracts stuff they're making like 750k whatever you want to say like i get that five thousand out of that is not a significant amount of money but that's all that they're allowed to do they can only do these things and so If you're going to get mad at them for having handcuffs put on them while they're trying to do this, you have to start looking at who put the handcuffs on them. And that for me is the part of this that is so infuriating is the GMs and the NHLPA refuse to address this internally. There are more guys in the NHLPA who have something in common with Troy Terry than have something in common with Jay Beagle. Yep. Everybody talks about hockey related revenue and escrow and money all we losing and all this stuff. And how do we make the, how do we get more money into the league? How do we grow revenue? How do we grow the game? You know what part of that is? Is not having guys like Troy Terry have to miss five games because he literally can't see out of one eye. Yeah. Because a beagle punched him in the face. That's how you increase revenue. Get these, like, get these games where the fighting, and the physicality accentuates the skill Mm -hmm. and the speed and the creativity of these players as opposed to actively detracting from it. I have been very clear on this. I don't think fighting is something that needs to be run out of the game as far as rules. I don't think it's something that needs to be run out of the game as far as getting certain types of, like certain players, right? Like, I love that Ryan Reeves is still in this league and I fucking love that the Rangers are good and Vegas sucks after Reeves walked out the door. That makes me so happy. And I say this as someone who spent a significant amount of my time hating Ryan Reeves because he was Peros for the Blues when we had Peros. Like, I I love those guys. Stu Grimson was one of my favorite players. Like, this is something I was, I was thinking about the other day watching Wayne Simmons whip someone's ass. There's no middleweights anymore, dude. Ian Laparriere. There's not a guy like that anymore, who's, you know, six foot one eighty maybe on a good day, and who will absolutely make you look stupid. It, it, Ian Laparriere had one twenty goal season in his entire career. One of my all time favorite depth players. Talk to guys on his teams, whether it's Philly, the Kings, Colorado. Those guys loved Laparriere. And it's not just because he wasn't or he was willing to fight, but it's because the way in which that fighting came out of his game was a reflection of him playing an honest, hard game. These kinds of terms that we hear like old hockey men, your 200 hockey men or old heads or veterans or whatever you want to talk about, talk about. That stuff is real. Like this idea of it, like, again, John Tortorella talking about an honest game. That's not... That's a moral thing to him, right? He just, he's, hes this is what we're going to do. We're going to keep everything simple. We're going to play as a team, blah, 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 blah. There's an elegant simplicity and sincerity that I think exists to that idea. The problem is a lot of people in this league are players that aren't abiding by those rules, and the GMs won't let anybody make them punt, like, the GMs won't let anybody hold them accountable except yep. for other players. And like you said, what you end up in is a situation of cyclical violence where star players are getting hurt because these guys are coming. Like, Zach Ronaldo should never see the NHL again. Yeah. For for every
2: fan. Nick DeLore, you have a Zach Ronaldo. that exactly. That is brought into the league by a GM D-O in, in hopes that they are going to protect their star players but then he is out there doing this to other star players and that right. like that's that's the problem to me is if you have said as a league you want to protect your star players but the way you go about it is saying it needs to be pol- policed by the players so the gm say okay we need to go out and get a guy and not everybody's a reeves or a delores some of them are Ronaldos and guys like that where You know, they're up there for a reason. They want to stay there. They want to make NHL money. The way they stay up there is fighting, hitting, being physical. And a lot of times, those guys don't have this morality where I'm not going to go and hunt this guy. I'm going to go make a name for myself. I'm going to go after their top guy, and I'm going to hurt him. And that's not right, but that's the problem you get into when you say the only Mm -hmm. way we're going to handle this is we're going to let the players police it because not everybody is going to follow the rules. And you need to now have... Either some way to do it both ways, where you reward the guys who do it properly, the, the enforcers who go after the other enforcer and fight to set a tone and to let guys know like this isn't gonna happen anymore. Like these guys rumbled, that's it. And a way to weed out the guys that shouldn't be here right. and are doing this. And there's no there's no effort from the league to do that. It's why we're stuck in this trap where we all hate that the stars get injured, but the way we deal with it is bringing in more guys who injured the stars that's that's the problem and like from the beginning I've tried to say it's hard to be on this side of the argument and not get labeled as anti-fight or soft or whatever I have nothing wrong or nothing against Nick Deloria I loved him when he was here I thought he played the game the right way I thought he filled his role as a responsible enforcer well and he protected this team I have nothing against him what he brought to the game, other than that, wasn't much. There were times they didn't need him to be that guy, but he was in the lineup sure, to be that guy. Just
1: get rid of his hat trick, yeah, whatever, dude. We know you hate him.
2: No, but to to <laughs> to say that, you know, you it, it's it just it just blends into the problem for me at the end yeah. of the day. And and it, like I am firmly on both sides with different parts of it. I, I I think fighting has a place in a certain way, but the problem is the system is broken right now. That it's that yeah. they're all lumped together, right? And if if I don't know, I don't yeah. know the solution. I'm not going to sit here and say I know the solution. But there's there's some sort of middle ground out there where there's a way to weed these guys out, where the guys like Reeves and Delory can still be here for the odd situation where you know a knee on knee hit happens, a dumb play happens, where a guy. You, you know makes a bad hit from behind he's not doesn't have a history of it wasn't out there to injure a guy but whatever he messes up one of your star players now DeLore is going to go out and fight their their guy their mm-hmm. their their actual enforcer one of their tough guys or the guy who did it that I'm fine with that type of retribution I'm fine with and I don't think that le- like that's an accidental thing it's the problem is when you have these guys the Ronaldo's and others you know Cassians in some sense who come in and target a guy for no other reason just to target their star player, and mm-hmm. leads to extra violence for other star players after that, and and we could talk about this all day, but I think I think that's where the problem comes for me. I don't know what the solution is. The league has to step in somehow and figure that out, that solution. Because if they are as adamant as they are about saying they want to fix this issue and protect star players, well, your 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 answer can't be to bring more guys in that are going to do the damage, right? right? And and I'm not saying. You know, I, I'll keep repeating this all day. I'm not saying let's take fighting out of the game. I don't think that's the answer. I don't think the NHL thinks that's the answer. But there, there's got to be something here that yeah. you can do to mitigate this and filter out the good ones from the bad ones.
1: Yeah, I mean, honestly, the only like just thinking about it right now, like the only thing that I can think of, because like, you know, uh, like C.J., I think it was CJ made the comment that like fighting doesn't stop this shit. Suspensions do. I don't think that's necessarily true. I understand what he's saying that you start costing these guys significant amounts of money, uh, especially for these kinds of guys, right? Where you have guys like Jay Beagle, who maybe isn't making, or, well, Jay Beagle's a bad example because he's on that terrible $3 million contract he got from Brad, uh, not Brad for living. What's his name? Who's the idiot who just got fired in Vancouver? Oh God. Um, I don't remember his name. Wow. Whatever. doesn't matter. Yeah. I know uh, who you're talking about. He'll so. have another job in six months and we'll yeah. have to know his name again. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I think what you need is to hold the organizations accountable. Yeah. To me, like, some of this shit should cost the organization money. Find the coach. Find the GM. Mm-hmm. Find the owner just dock draft picks bro uh, yo give them I'm a sorry. reason
2: why it's they will not bring these guys around I yeah
1: get, i get that everybody wants to say fifth and sixth round picks at very little value relative right you know like i think i i was looking at it a couple years ago the fifth round pick who had played the most games at, at one point was Derek grant like he was the most successful fifth round pick kind of uh, to a certain degree right yeah you know and, and you've always got Josh Manson's and Mark Stones and all those guys, Pavel Datsuk and these guys who... Troy Terry, another great mid- to late-round pick who, you know, those stories are awesome. Take those picks away. The punishments need to hurt. Like, they 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 need need to
2: hurt for there to be a difference.
1: And they need to hurt the organization. Because, like, again, like, it's one of those things where, like, I remember... Hearing the story in the NBA, now again, rosters are smaller, so it's a little different, but there was a story in the NBA where a veteran got in a fight on the court in like the 80s and a bunch of young kids that were just like rookies or second and third year guys on the team ran in and just start throwing down with him and had his back. They go into the locker room after him and he looks at him and he goes, I'm going to cover your fines. This isn't, you guys did the right thing. You do not make enough money. I'm going to cover your fines that's somewhat of a bad example because it's him making an argument for supporting his guys for doing the right thing. But it is also a thing where these players are invested in each other. Majority of the time, they will help each other out when they can assuming everybody doesn't fucking hate them. Like apparently Travis Hamannick. Um <laughs> but you have to hurt the GM. Like to me, that should cost... Uh, who is it? It's not Bill Zito, because he's in Florida. It's the other guy. Uh, Armstrong? Armstrong, yeah, Bill Armstrong. He should lose money for that game. Mm-hmm. Or King is the coach, right? He should lose money for that game. Your job is to control these guys. Like, and control is a very dicey word, because it's adults and it's a job and things like that. But like, that's your job. Your job is to get these guys to be again, like, you get into weird paternal language and it's always kind of uncomfortable for me. But fundamentally what your job is to do is to get these guys to play the way you want them to play. So I have to assume whatever they do is a reflection of you. And if you're going to condone this behavior, then I'm going to make you pay for it. Mm-hmm. You are going to hurt because this guy either did what you asked which is a problem or he won't listen to you which is also a problem if you can't keep your guys in your organization from making mistakes or hurting other people that's on you at the end of the day you are the leader of this organization you are the leader of these rosters you are the one who is going to have to pay and since, like we talked about earlier, it doesn't seem to be that much anymore, where I can go make your enforcer pay for you being an asshole, and then you have to answer to him. They have to go to management yeah. because there isn't a there there just isn't a fundamental structure right now on ice to handle these types of things. Yeah, that's why Tom Wilson is a problem because Tom Wilson's really good. He's really big. And he has, uh, I think, no moral compass. Like, I don't think he has a single, like, like. Uh, he, he, he might be a sociopath, right? Like, he might just not have human emotion. He might just be like, oh, it's a guy, punch, whatever. Like, he yeah. doesn't give a shit. That's why they needed Reeves in New York. Need, didn't need, whatever. They needed someone in their eyes who was physically capable of dealing with him. There aren't a lot of guys that can do it that can also play the minutes Tom Wilson plays. Cedeno Chara hasn't been that guy in five years because he's four hundred years old, and Cedeno Chara is one of the baddest men in the world. You know what I mean? Like, this is this is the part of this that gets messy, and I think, you know, uh, you know, to be honest, I think me and you have kind of come to a consensus that the problem is is the league isn't doing anything. To handle this, which is leading to people trying to handle this internally, which is leading to more and more of these guys coming into the league who don't have an appreciation or a, a healthy respect for their fellow players to to do this within some sense of a code of decency or a code of conduct. And that's the part of this that makes so many people frustrated, especially older fans. Mm-hmm. Because even if it's fucking not true, let me be very clear. You could 100% tell me that this is cherry-picked nostalgia, and I wouldn't really say you're wrong just because that's how these things work. We hold on to things that, you know, that fit with something or, or, or have an impact on us. But it, it felt like back then, you know, in the 90s, even the 80s, even in the early 2000s, you didn't get away with this shit, man. Like... In the playoffs, Brad May, voluntarily, knowing he was going to get suspended, jumped a dude for trying to fight Kent Huskins. I think it was the Shark Series. Somebody went after Kent Huskins. Kent Huskins was never fighting anybody. He was a sweetheart, uh, fourth defenseman. That's just what he was. He was just a nice guy. <laughs> and Brad May saw somebody trying to fight him, and Brad May said, No. And got suspended in the playoffs because he knew the right thing to do was to keep those guys off of Kent Huskins. He's not the guy you go after, bro. You want to wrestle or whatever, that's fine. But you're not getting my guy in a fucking fight because you're an asshole. So I'm going to come in. I'm going to get suspended. But I'm going to beat your ass for five minutes before these refs get me off of you. And, And again, it's violence begets violence. An eye for an eye leaves the whole world blind, and we end up in this situation where everybody's mad and nobody agrees. Mm -hmm. But the answer feels semi-easy, which is the people in charge need to fucking grow up.
2: Yeah, but it just feels like they'll never do it. It, It's like you got to go after the guys who are bringing these guys in to solve this problem that everybody says they want to solve. And when they make a mistake, hold them accountable. If they bring in the wrong guy who does it the wrong way, that's their fault. It's not necessarily the guy who did it's fault. Like yeah, it is. It you know, it he did that it's hit but finding him $5,000 which ultimately might be be covered by players or the owner or whoever at the end of the day you won't ever see it really come out. It's not really going to affect them too much anyway where it's not a deterrent to not go do it again, especially if that's their only way to stick in the NHL is to do stuff like that. You've got to go after the guy who brought him in be like, "Listen, this this isn't this isn't cool. This isn't going to work." We're finding you this, this time. It's going to keep going up every time this guy or somebody like him does it. And eventually the GM is going to be like, listen, man, you, you're not sticking with the team if you're going to keep doing this shit because it's hurting me.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: then presumably it dies out. That's what you hope for, right? It's like you get all these guys out of here that, you know, eventually it, it comes up every now and then. You bring the wrong guy in. You get punished for it. It happens, whatever. It's never going to completely go away. But he's gone. He's gone after that. Uh, GM's like, listen, I it's costing me this, you know, money, draft picks, whatever. He, you know, you're not sticking around. I can, I can understand CJ suspension argument because I, I can see that being more realistic. Like, listen, just suspend the guy five, ten games, and he won't do it again if he wants to play hockey. Especially these guys that struggle to get in the lineup anyway. Mm-hmm. I can see that. I don't know, like you said, if that's really the the answer. I think the answer is punishing the guys who are bringing in these players because then hopefully you just stop it completely and right. they they aren't bringing in these guys because if you just punish the player suspend him for 10 games jim was just going to bring in another guy to fill that guy's hole that could be just as bad right so I, right. I think ultimately you've got to punish the guys who are making those decisions building these teams and bringing these guys in and maybe it's a combination of both to put some yeah. blame on the players as well i i think there is a a median you can kind of fall in at some point. I just, I just don't think they'll do it.
1: Yeah. I I guess the last thing I'll say on this, and then you can say anything you want and then we can move on to things that aren't fucking annoying and and irritating, regardless of how you feel about them is it's important to acknowledge coaches are always going to make mistakes. GMs are always going to make mistakes. They're going to misread guys. We see them do it with talent, right? Mm -hmm. Where you find you see these guys that are incredibly talented. They come up, for a thousand different reasons, right? They don't make the lead. They don't have the impact you're expecting. It happens. So I think it is always worth remembering that these guys on the other end of this, right, as far as like the physical fighting kind of code types, you're going to just find guys who are just loose cannons. You're going to find guys who aren't, aren't right. But as long as you can hold the organizations accountable when those guys pop off, you're going to, to see you're, – you're going to start to see these things happen less and less because the GMs are going to have to make better decisions. They're going to have to make more educated decisions. Um, so I don't know if there's anything else you want to say about it. If not, then there was one other thing we wanted to get to, I think, before we got out of here.
2: Uh, which was what?
1: Uh, the Who's going to replace Dallas Aikens?
2: Yeah, I want to get into that. I don't. I want to spend a decent amount of time on it. That's the problem. So, Bboardy just asked uh, a chat. Thanks for coming out first time viewer uh, and first time question in the chat. I want to answer that. <laughs> I think it warrants a longer discussion than five, than five five minutes. Have. Like we've only got a couple of minutes here before I've got to wrap. I, I don't think it does the question justice to just kind of dive into it for five minutes because we were going to talk about um, the fact that in thirty two thoughts, uh, Elliot Friedman suggested that Bruce Boudreau might not be back in vancouver it's not a foregone conclusion that he's going to go back and i think it was jake from crash the pond who put out a twitter poll about um you know would the would you welcome bruce bruce back in anaheim so we we're going to talk about that and i think that goes in with that question on who do you think will be the ducks new head coach So i i would
1: we'll pass yeah we we'll push
2: it i want to cover that be patient we will cover it on the next show so we can give it you know the question a little bit more justice for than a five minute answer so we'll we'll get into that uh, we were going to also talk about the trade deadline acquisitions and how they've done. So we'll talk about that a bit uh, next week as well. Dive in how Zach Aston-Reese, Dominic Simone, uh, Vakanainen's played a couple games now. So give them a few more. They've played at least five each by the time we get to, to this next week. And we'll we'll analyze how they've done uh, a little bit. But I, I guess the only thing we have left is just uh, quick predictions for the upcoming games this week, including tonight. And
1: So here's how I want to do that. Okay. Because... Here's so I, I was looking at it the other day as far as like uh point percentage and where Anaheim is in the point standings versus the percentage standings, because I think they're still technically like third or fourth from the bottom in the Pacific by points, but uh-huh. they're second from the bottom in points percentage. And I was looking at it and with thirteen games left at the four ten point percentage or the point the forty one percent points percentage rate that they were at if they just played the string out at that, they were going to fail to hit 80 points. So my question to you is, with 12 games left, and what do they have to be at now? 70, they have to be at what? 68 points? I think they're at 68, yep. Um, Do you think the Ducks... 500. Yeah, basically, can they play 500? Do you think they can get to 80 points?
2: Um, Well, I was going to say they were going to lose three of these games. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, against Edmonton Calgary and Carolina chance they beat Philly you go after that to having to play Florida Tampa Los Angeles twice St. Louis and Dallas um I think there's a chance they don't I I really think they don't I think the winnable games are Philadelphia uh Columbus and San Jose And the other ones, you're either playing desperate playoff teams for seedings or even in a position like Edmonton and Calgary. You're playing some of the top teams in the league three in a row against Carolina, Florida, and Tampa on the road. That's going to be a nightmare. And you've got to play L.A. twice, and they're fighting for a playoff spot. And then Dallas on the last game of the season, that might be a a given, but the way they're trending right now, they are likely going to be fighting for a playoff spot to the very end. That game could mean a lot for them. Uh, so I, I don't think they do I think winning 6 out of 12 against the teams they have to go against and some of the road trips they have uh, I think is going to be very hard I, I don't think they hit 80 points which sucks But
1: yeah I mean you know like I, like I pointed out on Twitter it's it, it would be the first time they haven't hit 80 points in 3 consecutive seasons since the first 3 seasons they were in the league 2 of those are truncated seasons so there's something a little bit weird about that I might have to do some points percentage math or whatever yeah, yeah, yeah. What they were, yeah, yeah, where they were over a full season, but it, it's very, very interesting. Uh, I don't, I don't think they hit 80 either. I think you're right. I think they played too many teams with too much to lose uh, in this stretch, and I think ultimately what we'll see is they'll come up short. I think they'll finish, I don't know, seventy-five points ish. Yeah, that's probably right around where I would have them, which is a bummer. But you know, again, at this point in time. Like we've said, you know, beginning of the year, what we're hoping for: Calder Trophy, Calder Cup, lottery win. Mm -hmm. That's 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 the thing that we went into this year looking for. And as much as this year had points where we thought we might have a little bit higher aspirations than that, it's been what we've thought. It's come right back down to earth, and this is the team that you know you can see pieces moving forward. And we're, you know, I'm sure once the season wraps, we're going to have all sorts of fascinating conversations about what it is for big going to go into. I, you know, I think I said this on the, the trade deadline show. Like I haven't been this excited for the draft in a while and not even because of the pick, but because of the context, like right. I just don't know what for is going to do. And I'm fascinated to see what that is. Something is going to happen. I feel like one way or the other in whatever it is, I'm very much looking forward to it. <laughs>
2: all right. Well, that was fun. I like that one. I knew this one was gonna be interesting with all the stuff that happened. So thanks, I I, I was no, nah, I'm not gonna say I was about to say thanks to Jay Beagle for giving us something to talk about, but <laughs> fuck Jay Beagle. So no, a uh, life. Yeah, but no, that was great. Um, good discussion. I know it's uh, a topic on a lot of people's minds tonight, but it'll be fun. Hopefully, nothing like that happens tonight, and we can just watch a, a fun hockey, a ho- fun hockey game with. Uh, Edmonton in town, yeah, it's it's in Anaheim, right? So, mm-hmm. uh, McDavid and Drysdale is going to be a tough game. Vander Kane, so that's never a good thing to watch him play against the Ducks. He had a history. Okay, well, hi- wait, of... let
1: me just say, I would like to personally say uh-huh. that as far as hurting star players goes, everyone agrees there's an exception for Vander Kane. Fair enough, I
2: I will so, I will agree with that. But uh, it'll, it'll be a fun one tonight uh, to watch I think it's uh,
1: that's one word for it.
2: Yeah, it'll be, yeah, <laughs> ho- hopefully. Yeah, It'll be fun to watch uh, Zegers. Hopefully Terry's in. I haven't heard anything if he's going to be oh, in dude, or not. I, I, I'd imagine I probably not. not.
1: I Honestly, at this point, I'm fine sitting him. He hit 30 goals. The yeah. kid's a stud. He's a star. I, I you know, I, There are still parts of me that is trying not to get too far ahead of myself and appreciate that next year the results could look a little different because of the thousand different factors that led to him popping off this year. But it, 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 there's every reason to think he mm-hmm. is this guy going forward and that's incredibly exciting and at this point he has nothing to fucking prove to anybody and the best thing the organization can do is just let him heal yeah if he can play he can play if he can't then he can't so yeah
2: but uh yeah that will that will do it for today enjoy the game tonight guys appreciate everybody who came out live and anybody listening after the fact uh we'll be back i think likely next weekend um Hopefully, we're hoping that uh, we can set it up. I know Pat and Jay have been wanting to get back on. We've been just trying to find a time that works for everybody mm-hmm. with, with <laughs> where, they can, where they can jump back on. So hopefully next weekend, I know we're coming near to, near to the end of the season here. We've got a few things planned, like our prospect update and a few other shows. Uh, so we'll be having those on the way as well. But at least for now, enjoy the game tonight. Stay tuned for next weekend. We'll be back, and uh, we'll catch you guys then. Take care.
1: My dog, hate, my dog hates me. I'm going to go cry. Bye, everybody. <laughs> See you guys. <laughs>